Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Christian Cantrell, author of the new novel, Scorpion. Christian, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Great. Well, if someone hasn't yet heard about your new novel, Scorpion, how would you describe the novel? Well, um, it's it's usually described as a near-future thriller. Uh, so I usually say that it's about 70% thriller, uh, 30% science fiction, uh, with a thick layer of, uh, of character on top. Uh, so it's about um, a woman named Quinn Mitchell, who's a data analyst for the CIA. Uh, her job is to, uh, is to write queries against um, indices or uh, data collections that are compiled by intelligence agencies uh, in an attempt to uncover patterns to assist in investigations. So she's what I call a nine-to-five spy, which means she's part of the intelligence community during the day uh, and then spends her evenings and weekends um, in the quiet suburbs of Washington, D.C. Uh, and um, at the beginning of the novel, uh, she's, uh, she's part of the Nuclear Terrorism Nonproliferation Task Force uh, trying to, to recover you know, um, unaccounted for fissile material uh, before it can fall into the hands of... Uh, of, of terrorists. And, um, at the same time, Interpol, which is the international criminal police organization, uh, is, is looking for an analyst and helping a serial killer because, uh, this international serial killer who they, they, uh, you know, have no leads on whatsoever. Um, and so they, they need uh, a fresh perspective. They need a new analyst. Um, and so they come to Quinn. So, so they, uh, you know, Quinn sort of goes from this, you know, very quiet, uh, sedate, predictable, comfortable cubicle job. Um, into, you know, uh, into this sort of field mission where she's chasing the serial killer all over the world. And so do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to writing Scorpion? I do. Um, so I, uh, I grew up in Northern Virginia, which is where I am now. Um, and, uh, I've always been surrounded by, you know, people in the intelligence community, you know, <laughs> these, these sort of, you know, nine to five spies and people who can't tell you what they do for a living. Uh, you know, you, you go, you go to a party or to a barbecue and you ask somebody what they do for a living and they'll just say, well, they work for the government. And that usually means don't ask any more questions. Uh, and, um, and I've always just found that really interesting. Actually, it's funny. Uh, just last night, in fact, I was out to dinner and I was sitting next to a table where, uh, you know, a bunch of people were, were talking about, uh, you know, trips they'd, they'd taken to China and, uh, you know, how they had to protect their, their laptops. These were obviously government contractors and the measures they have to take to protect their laptops when they don't have them with them. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a very interesting area. Um, and, uh, you know, but especially really since the, uh, you know, since the terrorist attacks in 2001, this area really, uh, you know, became, um, a huge, uh, you know, um, sort of, a there've been a tremendous amount of investment and innovation around government contracting as opposed to more consumer technology. Um, so that's where I grew up. Uh, now that's not a, a world that I'm really part of. Uh, I'm, you know, I work for, uh, for Adobe. I've worked at Adobe for 19 years. I'm, I've lived in San Francisco. You know, my, my sort of technological background is more sort of West coast rather than East coast. Um, and so, uh, you know, the, these two, uh, you know, I, I went through this period where I was traveling a great deal. Because uh, I'm, I've always been back to, to San Francisco, and uh, I was traveling. Um, I went through one period where I was going just from hotel to hotel. Uh, I was doing some speaking engagements, and uh, and I started thinking about um, how cool it'd be if you know generally we think of people who are very wealthy as, as having homes all over the world. And I started thinking how cool it'd be is if if you were so wealthy that that the whole world 
was your home. Like you actually didn't own any homes at all. You just sort of stayed in the hotel for as long as you like. And when you got tired of that city, you moved to a different city. Um, and, uh, and I sort of started wondering, you know, what would someone like that do for a living? And that's where I came up with this idea of this sort of international assassin. He's known as the elite assassin in the novel. Uh, his name is Renbeer. Um, so in, in 2010, I decided to bring these, these, these ideas together, this sort of nine to five spy, uh, you know, this sort of, um, you know, person who lives in the suburbs, but works as part of the intelligence apparatus during the day. And then this very sophisticated, very cosmopolitan international serial killer. Uh, and, um, and at the same time, um, I, I had just written, uh, I just written a novel and I decided I wanted to do some, some short fiction. So I challenged myself to write short stories around the most um, sort of tired and, and played out and sort of stereotypical science fiction tropes that you could possibly imagine, but to do them in a way that was completely fresh and scientifically plausible and that, and that were, you know, unrecognizable as, as sort of existing in these subgenres. And one of those was, was time travel. Uh, and so I took all of these ideas together. There, there's an element of of time travel in the story as well. Uh, and, um, I combined them all into a short story called the Epic index. Uh, and, um, that story, uh, ended up, um, kind of bouncing around Hollywood a little bit, um, in, in various manifestations, somebody wrote a pilot for it and people were looking at potential films, um, based on it. Uh, this was back in 2010 and in the, in the, um, you know, in the years following, um, and then in 2018, um, it got optioned by Fox. And, uh, that gave me the opportunity to expand the Epic index into, into a novel, uh, which is now Scorpion. And so what was your writing journey that led you to writing your first short stories and novels? Well, um, I, I, so I work in the technology industry, as I said, you know, I, I work for Adobe. I run the, um, design prototyping team there. Um, so I'm an engineering director. Um, but I studied, uh, creative writing and literature in college. So, um, you know, writing has always been part of my life. It's always been something that I've been interested in. I've been writing for as long as I can remember when I was, you know, when I was younger and I would read, uh, you know, read books and I was sort of done reading them for the evening. Uh, you know, and I, and I try to go to sleep. My mind would just continue the story. Uh, and you know, um, and I, I was just really, really obsessed with storytelling and, and, all formats. I played a lot of text-based video games when I was young and then, you know, other kinds of video games. And I've always liked the story and narrative-based video games. Uh, and I've always just been compelled to write, to write stories. Um, so it's, it's something that's always been with me. It's something that I studied, um, in school that I took very seriously. I spent a semester in Ireland studying theater and, and Irish literature. Um, but I've always been into technology and computers as well. So you know, and that's, that's where I've made part of my career. Uh, so my career is really, I've really had these parallel careers between technology and, and writing. Um, and then, so science fiction gives me an opportunity to bring those two worlds together. And I'm curious about that. I mean, you, you said that you work in tech, um, you work for Adobe as well as writing fiction. Um, how do those two parts of your, uh, kind of life intersect or, or do you really think of them as intersection, intersecting? Yeah, I do think of them as intersecting or at least complementing one another. Um, and I, I can answer that. I can answer that question in a couple of different ways. The, the first way is that, you know, everything that I think really resonates with people is kind of narrative driven, whether we realize it or not. So, you know, I work 
very much in, in product, uh, in product development, product exploration, you know, future product exploration, uh, you know, in, in the role of a uh, prototyper. And, um, and I don't just think about the technology, you know, I think about the, the way the technology fits into our lives, um, and the things that the technology can enable. Uh, and, and I think about that in a very, you know, narrative driven format, right? So for instance, um, let's say I'm thinking about some, some new, or my team's thinking about some new features for video editing, or maybe even an, an entirely new video editing app, you know, you don't think about these sort of features and capabilities in isolation. Uh, you know, you think about them as how they'll fit into broader workflows. Uh, and those broader workflows are, are, you know, uh, have to fit into people's broader lives and, and they have to tell a story. They have to be meaningful. They have to mean something. Right. So, so you're not just building a video editor. You're, you're building, um, something that helps people, um, express themselves and tell their own stories and amplify their own message and, uh, you know, um, uh, share with the world the things that they're passionate about, right? And, and when you think about that, the narrative of product, then um, then that helps you as sort of a north star or a touchstone, and that helps you distill uh, what you're trying to to build, you know, eventually down into a set of features, right? So in other words, you don't really start with sort of like the the features and then just see where they happen to go. You you start with the larger impact you want to have on people's lives, which which I think of in a story form. And then I just, you know, and then we distill that down in, into the actual, you know, implementation of the product. So, so for me, everything is sort of narrative driven, right? I'm not interested in something that isn't going to, to help tell, tell stories in people's lives, uh, whether it's technology or whether it's storytelling. So that's the first way. And then the second way is, um, is that, uh, I've, you know, I've learned that the way the software used to be built is, um, through something called a waterfall method, which is you would spend, you have an idea and, you know, you'd get a bunch of people together, um, you know, maybe get some funding or whatever. And then you would spend, you know, years and years and years building something sort of in stealth mode. Some people still do this, of course. Um, and, uh, and then you launch it to the world and, and you hope that people happen to want it. And usually they don't, that's, that's generally <laughs> what happens. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's a, there's a more modern way to develop products and, and to develop software. And that's, it has different, the, the, there are various methodologies and it goes by different names, but it's usually called you know, like the lead startup method or, or agile and, right. you know, these things complement one another. But the, the, but the point is that you, you know, you build something as quickly as possible and you get it in front of people as quickly as possible. And you, um, and you start measuring people's reaction to it. And, you know, everything is very data driven and, and you're always, you're always putting things in front of people and you're always validating and you're always building on that feedback. So you're never disappearing for years and hoping that something works out. Instead, you're, uh, you know, you're, um, you're constantly val validating, you're constantly pivoting, and you're constantly following what's called, you know, the signal that's telling you what, what people, what customers want. Now I, I've learned to, to apply that to fiction as well. So, you know, before I sort of sit down and, and decide I'm going to write a whole novel, um, I, I'll write a short story instead. It's, I sort of learned to prototype the novel with a short story and I'll start sharing it with people and, um, you know, not publicly, but, you know, people I trust and people I know. You know, people like my, my agent or, or, you know, a manager I'll share it with, um, you know, who, who handles a lot of the, the, you know, movie and TV work. Uh, and, um, and I start getting feedback on it very, very early. Uh, and then I'll, you know, start making some changes and I start saying, you know, what's interesting? What questions are people asking? What are they, what characters do they want to know about more about? What characters do I want to know more about? You know, um, and that's, that's where I start investing more and expanding in, into, um, into an actual novel. Well, 
what what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories and novels based on your own experiences of writing novels and stories? Uh, I would give people um, a few different pieces of advice. I mean, one is that, you know, if you want to write a novel, you know, you might, you might try writing a story first. Um, you know, that's worked well for me. It may not, uh, this is something that's very unique to me. I haven't heard anybody else give this advice. Uh, you know, if you want to write a novel first, write a short story, <laughs> but it's worked very well for me. Uh, and um, so that's, that's something that you probably won't hear in your creative writing classes. Uh, so you might give that a try. Um, and, and share it early, uh, you know, take, um, take the feedback that people give you. Don't be precious about your work, uh, in the same way that a good product manager, a good product manager can't be obsessed over some specific idea. They really have to be obsessed with finding product market fit, not with not building what they want to build, but building what the customers want. And ultimately we're doing the same thing with books. Um, we're building products and now look, I mean, that's, if you read one of my books, one of my novels, you know, it's not going to, it's not going to feel like a product. I mean, it's a, it's an <laughs> right. incredibly creative endeavor, but so is product, you know, all these things are, are creative endeavors. Um, and it's, it takes a, a tremendous amount of creativity and iteration and focus to really build something that people are going to want to read and they're going to, you know, they get to the end of a chapter and they're not going to put the book down. They're going to read the next chapter and they're going to stay up late. Um, that's, that's really what I want to do. Um, I, I would also say, uh, you know, sick of being upsold at gyms. My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. For me, um, I write every day. Uh, that's something that you probably will hear in your, you know, your creative writing classes or whatever. Um, you know, not everybody does that, but, um, I write every day. I don't, uh, have, you know, any kind of word counts or I don't have any, any, you know, sort of quotas, word, word count quotas or anything like that. Um, you know, to me, sometimes I write a couple of sentences or a couple of paragraphs in a day and, and if they're good, then I'm very happy. So, um, so I'd say write every day, um, writing doesn't always look like writing. Uh, sometimes writing looks like taking a long walk. Sometimes writing looks like rewriting the same thing 10 times. Uh, and that's okay. As long as the story is, is crystallizing, uh, and you feel good about what you're doing, you're bringing real people to life, then, uh, then you're doing your job. So are you working on a new novel or new short stories now? I am. Uh, so I, because I can't not, <laughs> uh, so after Scorpion, uh, launched uh, really long before Scorpion launched, um, as soon as, you know, I sort of knew that I was done with edits and, you know, the whole book was finalized. Um, you know, as, as soon as I knew that I could start focusing on new characters and new things, um, you know, I, I just started right away writing something else, uh, cause I, I just have so many stories that I want to tell. So, you know, uh, I wrote a short story, uh, as I, as I, you know, as I said, as I explained, um, right. and I shared it with a few people and, you know, I got some really good feedback on it. It seemed, it seems like I'm onto something. People seem to like it. So, um, it's called day shift. I don't know what it'll be called, you know, next week or tomorrow, sure. but right now today it's called day shift. And, uh, and I, I just sort of started cracking it back open and, you know, doing another iteration and expanding the short story into something longer. 
I'm I'm curious. Have you? Uh, I know that Adobe is a is a very large company. Have you done any work on InDesign? And the reason that I I mentioned that <laughs> is, um, I'm just curious. I mean, I know that you are, uh, I know that you are traditionally published, but it's interesting that Adobe is working on tools to give people the ability to, you know, self publish their own. Um, novels and stories if they do want to go that route i know a lot of people use indesign for designing their their ebooks i was just curious about that yeah um i mean occasionally i will uh prototype uh or my my team will will do some work on indesign um or or you know usually you know features that may be shared across uh you know multiple you know creative cloud products like indesign and photoshop and right you know uh various other products um yeah so sure um you know, and actually my first novel, I, I self-published, uh, and that's, that's what led to, to me, you know, being published more traditionally. Um, and I did use all Adobe tools to do that. <laughs> um, but I didn't use it for the ebook. So, so here I'll, I'll give, I'll give your listeners a, a little bit of advice here. Sure. Uh, you know, InDesign for me, you know, I, I would not think of using InDevice, uh, sorry, InDesign as the tool for, um, for digital publishing. Uh, I would use it as, you know, as the tool for print publishing. So if you want to do your own paperback, uh, version, print version of your book, um, you know, I used InDesign for that and I used Photoshop for that. Uh, and you know, that, that's a whole different skill set than publishing right. digitally. Yeah. Um, and you can now put, when I was doing this, back my first novel containment, I originally published myself and now it, it was republished, you know, traditionally, but, um, you know, I wrote all my own tools to, to compile EPUB files and I had to learn the EPUB format and specification, and all that stuff. You don't have to do any of that stuff now. You can right. just essentially write it all in Word and use tools to convert the whole thing. So digital, I would recommend using something, just use Word and go from Word to your digital format. For print though, um, you may have to learn a little bit more um, and tools like InDesign uh, and Photoshop would work well for you. Right. So is there current Hollywood interest in your new novel, Scorpion? Uh, there is, there is, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of dodge the question That's a little fun. bit because, um, there's, there's some, some, some stuff going on currently and, and I'm always told, you know, I'm always told to say as little as possible. Yeah, so, yeah. um, but, but there, uh, but there is, um, you know, and I, I'm sorry for, for giving such a non-answer, but, um, but there is, it's a very, you know, it's a very visual kind of book. I write very, very visually, uh, and, you know, I write very, you know, um, very sort of distinctively. And, and I think that, you know, and I, I don't do it intentionally to try and option work, but, but it's, it's worked out well. I mean, I've optioned, uh, you know, several things for, for TV or film. Um, I have, you know, three things currently in development. And, um, and I think, I think partially it's because I have, I, I do write very visually. Um, I really see the stuff in my mind and I really spend a lot of time you know, hopefully not laboriously, but, but, you know, I, I, I really spend a lot of time finding just the right words to really conjure these things in people's heads. Uh, and, um, and I think that, that it translates, potentially translates well to the screen. So I'm hoping that now that the, you know, production is starting to open up a little bit after the pandemic, hopefully we'll see some movement on some of these projects. Yeah. Great. Well, what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Um, well, let's see. Uh, you know, I've read, um, I recently read, uh, I am Pilgrim by, by Terry Hayes. Uh, 
which um which I enjoyed a great deal. Um I uh I've read uh, I just read a book by uh by a friend of mine Bethany uh Morrow um called uh, Song Below Water and she she just launched the the uh sequel to it of course rises um which is a young adult book, a young adult uh sort of fantasy book. But I read everything. I mean I read you know, young adult and science fiction, hard science fiction, uh, sure. you know, nonfiction, um, literature, I read all, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, so that, that I really enjoyed. I'm reading, um, I mean, the spy who came, who, uh, the spy who came in from the cold right now, uh, which is, you know, an old classic yes, for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I've seen several, several of his, I think every single one of his books has been adapted into a movie, uh, which, which I just found amazing. So I'm kind of going back and catching up on those books. Um, you know, I, I sometimes will go back and read, you know, old, old classics. Uh, you know, I just reread, um, Fruit of the Bell Tolls, uh, which is, you know, obviously, uh, you know, fantastic book. And, uh, I, I, I just have really, uh, broad, broad tastes. Uh, so I, I kind of, you know, every book I pick up is usually something completely different, uh, from the book before it. Right. That's great. Well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novels? Uh, you can find my website at uh, christiancantrell.com. Uh, so that has, um, you know, plenty of information on, on my, my novels uh, and, you know, various other aspects of my life. Um, and I'm also on Twitter um, at, at Cantrell, just uh, C-A-N-T-R-E-L-L. And uh, I love to, uh, you know, if anybody reaches out, if anybody has a chance to read, any of my stuff, I love to chat about it online. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Christian Cantrell, author of the new novel, Scorpion. The book is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Christian, thanks for doing this interview. Thanks for having me. Great. Now, stay tuned for a brief excerpt from the audiobook of Scorpion by Christian Cantrell, read by Hilary Huber, available from PRH Audio, wherever audiobooks are sold. The first thing Kira does before she gets up is put on her legs. They balance on an inductive charging mat beside her bed between a set of steel rails, and the muscles in the young woman's back and shoulders flare as she elevates herself. The nerve terminals in her thighs magnetically align to the pin jacks at the bottom of the carbon fiber cups, and the interfaces constrict until they are securely attached. She has skins somewhere. She can roll up over them. And if she were to conceal the seams where the texture-etched urethane and her tissue meet with shorts or a tight skirt, the looks she would get on the street would be of lust and envy rather than curiosity, revulsion, or pity. But Kira lives alone. So the servo-mechanical guts remain exposed, and she does not even bother dressing beyond underwear, a tank top, and her aviator-style metaspecs. She has not left the penthouse suite asylum at the top of the twisted and slowly rotating Infinity Moscow Tower in nearly four years. No good reason to even brush her teeth or to close the master bathroom door while she pees. Kira works nights. Her workstation is her studio, and her tools are instruments of fabrication and conspiracy. Proxies conceal her real IP and map to her many identities. Location can be cloaked from the outside world, but real-time interaction cannot be forged, so Kira has become nocturnal.
Her boss calls her a change agent, but she knows that's simply a way of distorting the truth. She is an agent of chaos. The first step in her evening routine is to make herself tea. In the kitchen, she activates the kettle, and while she waits for it to boil, she sits down to flash charge the monitor affixed to her wrist. The device cannot be removed, so it must be replenished in place. She interweaves her fingers and leans forward, both arms flat against the mat. A lightning bolt icon appears in the corner of her vision, indicating that her glasses are receiving an ambient trickle charge conveyed through her biomagnetic field. The charging mat is infused with stacks of overlapping coils that are meant to get warm but never hot, and it is not until she smells something caustic and hears an electrical pop that she is on her feet and her legs are backing her away and she understands that she's been burned. She kicks the cord out of the wall, turns to the sink, and runs her arm beneath a cold stream. She can already see round red welts forming on the inside of her forearm. It hurts, but she is no stranger to pain. Pain is always with her, and she has learned to observe it from a distance rather than letting it in. Kira was her family's primary source of income before the missiles hit, and her parents had her back in front of a computer before she was even out of the hospital. At home, her father carried her back and forth between her desk and the toilet, and her mother changed her bandages and brought her soup and bathed her, and they never spoke of the retaliatory attack her work provoked. It was in the past, and the past could not be changed. Kira learned from an early age that some people do not have the luxury of indulging in yesterday's fears or even today's chronic pain. If any of her personal monitoring systems fail, she is supposed to alert her handlers immediately. Fuck them, she thinks. They refuse to use anything that is not Russian-made, which means half of it is trash. The other half has shit firmware that any script kitty could hack. They will know her charger is fried when her monitor runs dry and her biometrics suddenly drop offline. Kira slides the patio door open to help get rid of the smell. Usually, she does not check the pigeons until her tea is steeping, but tonight she steps outside into the cold Moscow evening. Once a day, a bird arrives with a new handwritten encryption key wrapped around its leg. Homing pigeons are supposed to be only one way. Once they have established a specific loft as their home, they will deliver messages only in that one direction. To use them again, they must be collected and redistributed. But these pigeons have been genetically engineered to have bifurcated brains with dominance that toggles according to light. They fly in one direction during the day and the opposite direction at night. Like Kira, their handlers have learned to turn their multiple identities into weapons deployed against their many enemies. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. 
At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.